You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be asking the question, do I have the heart of a servant? And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 13. But before we do, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, I want to just encourage you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. And when you're there, check out the blog. What you'll find on the blog is uh, a transcript of all the recent teaching that we've been doing here via the podcast. And you're free to download it. You're free to use it. You're free to share it on social media. In fact, I'd love if you shared it on social media. That would give us a just a wonderful opportunity to share the message of the gospel and the application of the gospel with as many people as possible. And so those links are all available there. Those articles are all available there at desirejesus.com. While you're there, we'd also love to share with you a free copy of my latest 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 8. You could download a free copy of it right from the website. We'll have that up there for just a little bit longer. So if you haven't grabbed a copy yet, be sure to stop by our website. Again, it's desirejesus.com. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're talking about the idea of having the heart of a servant. And that's probably something that, as believers, we've wrestled with to one degree or another. And I want to share something with us today from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 13. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we'll be in 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 13. And I'm going to be reading right down to verse 25. If you're in your car or someplace like that, we'll give you a free pass. You don't have to open up your Bible today. <laughs> you just listen. Uh, but this is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And by your grace, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and speak through us, Lord, as we have the opportunity to look at this portion of Scripture. We pray that you grant us your wisdom and and your insight as we look at this content. And we're thankful, Lord, for having access to it. We're grateful that you've blessed us with that privilege. Speak to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain aspects of the Christian faith that are quite different from some of the more common cultural expectations. One of the big differences is the attitude or the heart that we're encouraged in Scripture to convey. Some aspects of our culture seem to value dominance and control, but when we look at God's Word, His Word encourages us to value cultivating the heart of a servant. Now, I'll admit, servanthood is easier to value in theory than it is in practice. Many times I've heard it said that servanthood sounds great right up to the point when someone actually treats you like a servant. I know for me, this has been a lesson that the Lord has chosen to drive home to my heart quite a few times. I think one of the most poignant examples in my own life where this message was kind of driven uh, deep into my mind and deep into my heart was when I was directing the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference. And I felt like servanthood was a lesson I had to relearn every single week when I would take off my director's hat and I would help wash dishes for the retreats or mop up cabins after the cabins were used for the retreats. It very much felt like a servanthood moment. And sometimes, depending on how messy some of the groups were, uh, it was one of those moments where I had to really encourage myself to show hospitality without grumbling. Now, is this a lesson that you can sense that the Lord's been trying to teach you as well? Is this something that he's been trying to drive home in your heart? What has he been teaching you about the value of servanthood over the course of your life? And... um Would you say that Christ has given you the heart of a servant? Is that something that you could notice in your life? And if so, how is a servant called to live, even in the midst of a world that doesn't always esteem servanthood? Well, there's a few things that are brought up in this portion of Scripture that I think are worth noticing today. And one of the things that we're told here as we develop the heart of a servant is this idea of living as people who are free. And that seems kind of antithetical to servanthood, doesn't it? You know, we're, we're, we're called to be servants, but yet we're called to live freely. And look at what it says in verses 13 to 17. The way it phrases it is like this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. My parents would confirm this if you asked them, but I'm confident that I was not an easy child to raise. From an early age, I wanted to experience as much independence as I possibly could. I wanted to earn my own money. I wanted to go where I wanted to go. I wanted to operate by my own set of rules. 
I think I wanted to listen to my own counsel above the counsel of anyone else. And I also will admit to wrestling with trust issues during that season of my life. And sometimes I think that even creeps out into this season of life as well. But I can tell you, uh, particularly growing up, sometimes it was difficult for me to trust that adults were making decisions that were in my best interest. So sometimes I found it difficult to cooperate with certain authority figures in my life until I came to a spot where I learned to trust and respect them. When you look at this portion of Scripture, this Scripture encourages followers of Christ to be people who are known for respecting authority, particularly the authority of those who have the responsibility to govern and keep order. And that sounds good in theory, But just consider for a moment what it must have been like for the original audience of Christians to hear this teaching as the Holy Spirit communicated it through Peter. During that era, Christians were regularly persecuted by their government for no other reason than the fact that they worshipped Jesus and encouraged others to do so as well. Some were executed, some were imprisoned, some had their jobs and their homes taken away. Yet they were still being encouraged to honor the authorities that had been placed over them as best as they could. What the Lord was seeking to do through them was to silence those who spoke evil of believers. As Christians lived with a healthy reverence for God, as they honored those he brought into their lives and displayed genuine love for one another, that would serve as a powerful testimony that pointed others to Jesus and visibly displayed the miraculous way he can change a heart. Even though many of these early believers were being tossed in prison because of their faith, they were encouraged to live as people who were free. Not free to do whatever they felt like doing regardless of the consequences, but what this means is free from the bondage of sin, free from an attitude of selfishness, free from being consumed by hatred and a desire for revenge, free to forgive those who hurt them and those who hurt their families. This is the kind of freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. I love what the Scripture tells us in John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36, where it says this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Christ, we find freedom from sin. Our minds, hearts, and lives no longer need to operate under the control of ignorance, selfishness, and rebellion that once dragged us down and hurt others. We've been called as servants of Christ to live as people who are free. The Scripture also encourages us to be people who follow in the steps of Christ. Look at what it says in verse 18 and the few verses following it. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
I'm grateful for the people the Lord has placed in my life that I consider examples. Years ago, I used to engage in long conversations with a retired pastor who, during the course of his ministry, had planted quite a few churches. Uh, He had a very unique and interesting calling from God, and I loved to hear what he had to share. Not long after I entered full-time ministry, this man passed away, and I remember being at his funeral, and I was surprised at just how, how overcome with emotion I happened to be during that time. And I remember as I approached his casket and I paid my last respects, I prayed that if it was God's will, that he would give me a double portion of that man's spirit, similar to what Elisha requested before Elijah was taken up into heaven. That man was at the end of his ministry, and I was at the start of mine, and I wanted to follow in his steps. Now, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we're called to follow in his steps. This is his calling on our lives. During his earthly ministry, Christ left us an example of what it looks like to live, to love, and to serve. During this era of history, he's living within us, and he's empowering us to walk as he walked. We're told some of the ways that applies to us now when we look at these verses. These verses speak of servants being subject to their masters. In that context, it may have referred to household servants who help manage the property and the affairs of their master. In our context, this could easily apply to us in our workplace. If you don't own a business, you very likely work for someone who does. Some of us may have the privilege of working with gifted leaders. Some of us may work for difficult bosses. Being mindful of the example of Christ, how should we serve in the context we've been called to serve in? Well, one of the things that we're being prepared for when we look at this passage is the very real possibility of suffering. We may suffer in our personal lives. We may suffer in the context of our employment. We may suffer where we are called to serve. I think it's safe to say that suffering isn't something any of us look forward to, naturally speaking, right? When I'm suffering, I typically spend a decent portion of time asking the Lord to alleviate my suffering. You probably do the same exact thing. When people I love are suffering, I try to ease their pain. When someone we care about passes away abruptly, I think one of the things that we often say to console ourselves is something like, well, at least he didn't suffer, right? Have you ever said that? Well, at least he didn't suffer. But consider for a moment the redemptive aspects of suffering. When Jesus came to this earth, he did so with the intent to suffer on our behalf. When we endure suffering for his glory, we continue to operate with a mindset that reflects his. Interestingly, he will likely use our suffering to teach us things like how to pray with sincerity, Uh, He'll use our suffering, I think, to make us stronger, to show others an example of his power at work in our lives, and even to help us clarify what's really important in this world. Following in the steps of Christ can be a difficult path to walk, but it also produces the kind of fruit in our lives that the Lord desires to see present among his children. There's something else that this passage of Scripture brings up if we desire to develop the heart of a servant. And one of the things that a Christ-centered servant, someone who develops that servant's heart of Christ, seeks to do is to entrust ourselves to the one who oversees our soul.
Look at verse 22 down to verse 25. It says it this way. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Are you ready to think about something rather unpleasant for just a moment? For just a few seconds, let yourself think about someone who has hurt or upset you. Now, I realize that can be unpleasant to do, but the truth is you probably think about that person more often than you'd like to admit. And usually when we're thinking about the people who have hurt us, we're also thinking about the kind of unpleasant things that we probably wouldn't be too opposed to watching them experience. The desire for revenge can be a powerful impulse that is quite dangerous when it's left unchecked. While there are people in this world who may have brought us hurt or discomfort, it isn't wise for us to become consumed with getting back at them. Yet again, our example in this particular scenario is Christ himself. Though he never did a single thing wrong, he never sinned, he never deceived, he never used his words improperly, he was arrested, interrogated, tortured, and crucified. The penalty for sin was death. So he who had no sin suffered death in our place at the cross so that we could be forgiven and healed. When Jesus was being poorly treated, did he seek to harm those who were hurting him? Did he threaten them? Did he tear them down with his words? No, he didn't. Instead, we're told that he entrusted himself to God the Father, knowing that the Father's judgments are just. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united as one. Jesus, by nature, is divine. Yet during the course of his earthly ministry, he took the form of a servant. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 down to verse 8. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus showed us what it looks like to trust the Father even in the midst of our greatest trials. I don't know if you saw this story the other day, but according to CNN, Clayton Cook uh, had just gotten married. He's a brand new groom. He had just gotten married, and he was getting some wedding photos taken with his wife, Brittany. The pair was on a bridge over uh, a lake in Victoria Park in Kitchener, Canada. And that's when Cook noticed something alarming. A child had fallen into the water and seemed to be drowning. And so the suited-up groom, so he's there in his suit, getting pictures taken, immediately and instinctively, he ran off the bridge and he jumped in. And he grabbed the boy by the forearm and he pulled him to safety. He saved the boy's life. And I noticed that the other day and I thought to myself, well, you know what? 
that's a beautiful thing to see happen. But likewise, it's not a stretch to believe that God watches over our lives, that God is looking after us, that God is snatching us out of the type of things that seek to ultimately destroy us. I don't know what you're going through at this point of your life, but I do know this. You can entrust yourself to the one who oversees your soul. You don't have to have every last aspect of his plan figured out. You don't have to know the outcome of everything you're in the midst of experiencing. You can trust that his will is good. What he allows will ultimately be for his glory and for your benefit. And if your faith is in Christ, you don't need to approach the future with a sense of dread or fear. Christ offers to bless us with the heart of a servant. He empowers us to live in true freedom. He inspires us to walk in His steps. He encourages us to trust the will of God for our lives. Regardless of the difficulties or challenges we may face in the present, we can be confident that our Lord will transform our present suffering into future blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the privilege to be able to spend some time reading it together today. And Lord, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your presence with us. We're grateful for the fact that you cultivate within us the heart of a servant. You help us to see and to know things that are of importance to you, and you help us to value those things and, and consider them important to us as well. We know, Lord, that this world values dominance. This world values a sense of control. This world tends to value being served. And sometimes that's the desire of our hearts as well. We want to be served. And then we look at what you've done on our behalf, and we recognize that you chose to serve us. And you left us an example, and you've told us to likewise go and do the same in your name for your glory, even if it involves suffering. So, Lord, by your grace, we pray that that would be something we would learn to value and that you would just continue to facilitate this kind of mindset, this kind of attitude, and this kind of action in our day-to-day lives. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for your presence with us today, and we commit ourselves to your care and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you haven't stopped by our website yet, be sure to do so. We have Desire Jesus Volume 8 ready to download right there for free. We also have our bookstore where you can find a whole bunch of other resources, and we usually just price those things very, very inexpensively. If you're somebody who reads Kindle books, you'll find that most of our books there are priced from $0.99 cents to right around two ninety nine. I think only one of the Kindle editions is priced higher than that. So most of them are, are kept really, really inexpensive because it's our goal that more and more people will find them useful. So we have devotionals, we have marriage resources, and we have a variety of other things there that we hope that you'll download and enjoy and utilize in your day-to-day walk with Christ. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for uh, just the fact that you tune in each and every week. We'll be back again right here next Monday. And in the meantime, we hope you have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon and take care.
Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.